Welcome to the Soul Talks podcast, where we equip pastors, leaders, and other men and women in ministry to thrive with Jesus in their life and leadership. Now let's join Bill and Christy Galtier, doctors in psychology, spiritual directors, and founders of Soul Shepherding. Greetings, good friends. We're so happy to be in this conversation with you today on Soul Talks. We'll be talking about solitude, supports, self-esteem, Enneagram to Soul Care. So this podcast is especially for you if you're an Enneagram 2, the helper, or if you have a line or a wing to the two, and all of us can learn from Enneagram 2. So this is for all of us. And Christy, this is a very exciting time as Healthy Feelings, Thriving Faith has been launched out into the world, and we are hearing from people who've got the book and are reading and are excited. And so that's very fulfilling after all, all the work that we did to create this. Yes, thank you so much. We are so grateful for your interest and your learning from us and with us and following Jesus with us on this and this growth and his likeness and through understanding your personality, both the, the good and the bad there. Truly, it is such an honor for Christy and I to be in relationship with you and to seek to follow Jesus together in emotional health and loving leadership. It's such a such a joy to lead soul shepherding, and we, we often just pinch ourselves and say, gosh, we get to be in relationship with the best people on earth, people who are devoted to Jesus and helping other people as pastors, missionaries, leaders of all kinds, uh, spiritual directors, coaches, all sorts of people serving God, and just love your heart for Jesus, and it's fun to learn new things, and it's fun to take a, a, a new approach to uh, the Enneagram, and that's what we've done with Healthy Feelings, Thriving Faith. Uh, this is a book that no matter what your personality type, you can grow to be more healthy, more loving, more like Jesus. And that is the best. The thriving faith piece is a greater trust in Jesus. A greater trust because I really hope and pray this book will enthrall you more with Jesus. That was our goal. And we believe it will. And so we're, we're looking at the Enneagram 2 Uh, angle into Jesus. We believe that Jesus is the perfection of human personality. He's the perfect human being. The Son of God became fully human, and he shows us how to live with perfect love, perfect faith in God the Father, perfect dependence on the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus shows us the fullness of each of the Enneagram types. And for the Enneagram 2, that means compassion. That means a heart full of consideration and kindness to be really oriented towards the good of other people. Well, yes, in Christ-likeness, that's true. And yet in our sin sometimes, our motivation can be selfish. It can be out of our own deeds and, and not depending upon Jesus, not looking to Jesus, not being enthralled with Jesus, and trying to secure ourselves. Yeah, tell us more about that, because that really gets to the, the foundation of the Enneagram theory, uh, which is very biblical on this point, which is that we are... We're born in sin. We're born separated from God. We're born with brokenness, with uh, all sorts of things that are dysfunctional about us, uh, ways that we are not in sync with God's love and God's grace and truth. And so personality gets formed around uh, the sins of our parents and other people and our own sins. And we have these coping mechanisms for dealing with pain and dealing with stress and conflict. And 
this is really what makes up personality is the different defense mechanisms and ways of dealing with the difficult things in life. And it's mostly unconscious. Mm-hmm. So the our understanding of personality is not like, well, I'm okay, you're okay, let's just be, understand each other and be happy. It's like, well, we can get to the happy, but we got to work through a lot of muck to get there. Yeah. And so we're talking about the twos today, and I'm a two, so... Just to talk more about that, this point for the two, our root sin is pride. And it's really kind of confusing if you don't really understand the Enneagram and you just think, oh, okay, so so twos are prideful. And yet, if you know twos, we struggle with insecurity. And you might think, well, that's really weird. How does insecurity and pride go together? But you need to understand for each of these types, there's, there's an underlying need that we're trying to get met. And that's what's motivating a lot of our our behavior, a lot of our choices, a lot of our attentions. And once again, this isn't all conscious to us at the time. I don't go around every day, gee, how can I get my needs met? Thinking about that. I don't go around every day thinking prideful thoughts consciously. I don't uh, go around thinking that being prideful is my ticket to you know, feeling good or being secure. It, it's all operating unconscious. And that's part of the gift of coming to understand this is it, it awakens you to things, dynamics that are going on in the background that as we wake up to, we actually can say, oh, no, no, I, I want to live in the kingdom of God. I want to live in intimacy with Jesus. I want to draw my, my needs from the wellspring of life true life. I don't want to live just trying to cope with my wounds and cover them and deny them and defend against them and try to get my needs met and try to make myself feel good and my life work myself. But we often slip in to that mode. And so as a two, my wound is this deep core belief that I'm not loved. I'm not wanted. For me, that the story's probably a little bit different for each personality. Nobody has the exact same story, but for mine, it comes out of an abandonment wound. And so I'm always trying to secure myself and make myself earn love or be wanted by somebody else. And so in doing that, I, I unconsciously try to figure out what other people want and need I try to give them that in hopes that then they will want me in return. And that's really a poor substitute for love, which is what I really need. Yeah, I feel sad as I'm listening to you, Christy, and just on behalf of all of you listening who relate to Christy, because you're so lovable, you're so desirable, you're such a good-hearted person, and so that that deep insecurity that has you hiding your true needs is a sad thing. And I realized that many years ago, and that's why I started saying to you, well, I appreciate actually when you tell me what you need, and because that helps me love you better. And actually, when you tell me what you need, what you want, what's important to you, what you feel, uh, it actually is loving to me because if you don't tell me that, then I've got to like figure it out without you telling me. <laughs> so the more that you're explicit, it, it helps me know what you need. It doesn't, it doesn't imprison me that I have to just do what you want, 
or what is going to help you because I, I can say no, but now I at least have the option. I'm not going to get like blindsided. Which makes total sense if I just listen to you intellectually, but we've been married 37 years and I still need you to remind me that you want that because everything in me says I need to protect everybody in the world against my needs and see that that's my pride. My pride says I, I don't need anything. I can't need anyone. I won't let myself need anyone. And that's where I defend against humbling myself and saying, no, actually, I have needs too. Because your experience was that having needs, having um, emotions, having insecurities uh, was difficult for other people and, and problematic, upsetting, painful. And so you interpreted that to mean it was unloving for them and weren't aware, of course, as a child that, well, actually... Uh, there's your own sense of being rejected in this that is the most significant aspect of your experience and that's shaping how, how you're relating to people. Yeah, it's very hard for me to humble myself and say, I have needs, especially I have needs of you. To, to really need somebody is hard for a couple reasons. One is in my pride, I want to be the one to meet your needs. I, wanna, I, I, wanna, I really value, I want to love well. And I have equated those too much. And then the other thing is, is I want to protect myself from having needs because if I have a need and you can't meet it, it hurts. Mm -hmm. And so that's the other reason why I defend against having needs and asking for what I need. Well, and so a big part of this is that you feel things so deeply. Your emotions run really deep, which I I find to be beautiful, authentic, uh, fostering of, of intimacy and emotional intelligence. But a lot of times it doesn't feel like that to you. It doesn't feel those positive traits. It, it feels overwhelming. It feels needy. And you're afraid to be alone with that sense of rejection or uh, feeling bad about yourself. And so there's like you're like guarding against getting your hopes up. Very much. And very much afraid that you won't have the grace or the love to give me if I ask you for what I need and that it's going to be a burden to you or you're going to be angry or you're going to resent it or that it's going to make you want to avoid me. Yeah. And so if you are listening, if you're an Enneagram two or you have a two wing or even a, a line to the two, uh, like the four relates to the two, for instance, uh, or if you're in relationship with an Enneagram two, then you're going to really relate to what Christy is saying and t- a key thing that you're describing, Christy, is being indirect. T- twos are very indirect. And another side of that is that twos are people of intention. Twos have really good intentions, and they want those, those heart considerations of other people to be noticed and appreciated. And so with, an, with Enneagram 2, it's always more than meets the eye. There's always a lot under the surface. Well, part of that in the intentions and then wanting to be appreciated is because we feel like we're sacrificing so much. We feel like we're denying ourselves so much in order to be loving, in Mm -hmm. order to give and to love others. And so when we really do have our needs continue to be missed or um, disregarded or ways we are loving and giving and appreciated, or dismissed, or when we really feel very unwanted and unappreciated, we can we can only tolerate so much of that 
until we kind of erupt with a demand that that we have a need met or that we receive some sort of positive attention and appreciation. Yeah, and so this is the Enneagram 2's stress line to the unhealthy eight, which is mm-hmm. the challenger. Uh, it's an anger type and a very eights are outward with their anger, very direct and they, they challenge, they disagree, they, they want power, they want control. And so it's a surprising thing when that side comes out of the sweet, considerate, helpful two. Yeah, well, a lot of it is driven by that shame that we talk about. We're talking about healthy feelings because often we are so damaged in the area of feelings, each of us, different, different types and different emotions. But for the two, as a hard type, it's shame. And so I do really wrestle with anytime I have a need, I'll feel shame over having that need. And I'll even feel shame over wanting to be appreciated. And so that shame that I'm co- that's constantly operating in unhealth, if I'm not living in a real sense of union with Jesus and receiving his love and receiving his love and empathy through ambassadors of him too, then what happens is that that shame will build and build and build and it becomes so intolerable, I can't handle it anymore. And then it just, it becomes anger and it comes out in anger because the shame is so miserable and suffocating that then I will just, I gotta try something else. There's gotta be something else that will free me from the shame. And in the moment when I go to the unhealthy A and I power up and I become angry and demanding, it it feels so good to be out of the shame. Mm-hmm. Because I've been shrouded in, in all yeah. this shame and all of a sudden I'm I'm free. But then it's like any addiction after the expression of the anger and the demand, the shame is stronger than ever. Right. I feel so ashamed that I just got angry and demanding. Yeah, and so th- this is super helpful. As, uh, Christy, you're really illustrating for us the language of emotions and the relationship between shame and anger. Uh, This is a subject we go deep into in Healthy Feelings, Thriving Faith. Uh, So if you haven't gotten your copy yet, uh, you'll want to do that because we're understanding personality through emotions. And uh, emotions are the, the window into our souls, into our personalities. And we ask people, well, how do you feel? We don't say, well, how do you think? We, 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 we want to move closer and want to be hospitable. We want to be friendly. We want a soft touch. And that's what emotions help us to do. And so that's how we understand our personality is through our emotions. And you really can't understand uh, the Enneagram 2 without understanding the problems with shame that you're describing and then how that relates to the problem with anger. And uh, shame is often internalized anger where the anger uh, and the assertiveness and directness is repressed or denied. And so getting language for what we're feeling is essential to be coming healthier and more loving in our personality types. Yeah, what you just said there, I, I want to point out because I remember becoming aware shortly after we were married, when we would have conflict, that I would make a conscious choice. I would rather turn my anger inward and be angry at myself than be angry at you. And I would find myself making that choice regularly. And I knew that it cost me a lot. And I knew that one of the costs was that shame. 
but I still chose it. And I, and it wasn't until I came to understand my roots and pride more that I identified why I did that. And it was because it was, it's a prideful decision. It's, well, I would rather turn my anger inward at me than outward at you, because if I turn it inward at me, at least I feel I have some control. But yeah. if it's out at you, I don't feel any control. And I remember when I recognized that, oh, that, that's pride right there again. Yeah, and it's a defense mechanism of, of repression. So for each of the nine personality types, we talk about the particular sort of favorite defense mechanism, unconscious coping approach that that personality type has. And for the two, it's repression of needs and emotions. Uh, you've been illustrating that really helpfully, Christy. Other types do that as well um, in some different ways, though. And so that's what we unpack in our book. So let's talk about how solitude supports self-esteem. You've really positioned us for that, and it's uh, quite uh, surprising to think about. We, you, at first glance, you wouldn't think, listening to Christie's personality, you wouldn't think that, oh, she needs more solitude. <laughs> but that is the key soul care practice, the key spiritual discipline for the Enneagram 2 helpers. Help us understand that. Well, it is surprising, and actually it was a journey for me to embrace this because solitude wasn't something I wanted. I'm, I'm an extrovert. I like being around people, and I write in Healthy Feelings, Thriving Faith how actually solitude felt like punishment to me because it's one of the ways that I was punished as a child. When I was a problem for my family, when I was acting out in a way that embarrassed them or was not okay, or when my emotions were too much, they would put me in solitude. Right, and just to, just to clarify, we're not just talking about like you were disobedient or disrespecting your parents or hitting one of your sisters or something like that. We're talking about you, you were having emotions and, right. and then you were put in solitude, in timeout. Right, yes. Separated from everybody for, yeah. for having yeah. emotions. Yeah, and and also when I was disobeying right. or disrespectful too. But, but the, um, what was particularly shameful right. yes. was that having emotions and needs... Right tears mm -hmm. that's it just reinforced that i'm bad i'm unwanted nobody loves me nobody wants to be with me i'm just a problem i'm just in the way i just need to be quiet i just need to please i just need to serve i just need and to this, make people this happy illustrates the power of emotions because what you're describing christy is not just uh, uh, twos it's every type in a different way we all live in our emotions even head types we have emotions and when this is our reality, this sense of being rejected, unwanted, then we, we develop these coping mechanisms that are unconscious and, and therefore pretty unhealthy. Yeah. So one of those coping mechanisms was the pleasing for me, the people pleasing. But the solitude actually just felt like punishment and it felt like abandonment to me until I began to understand and get a vision of it as a spiritual discipline. And when I began to understand that the purpose of solitude wasn't punishment, wasn't abandonment, but it was actually to connect with Jesus and that it was actually to stop all the people pleasing because I got so that I was just constantly, unconsciously attuning to everybody else all the time, all the time attuning to what they needed or what I thought they needed and trying to meet that need in order to secure myself so I didn't get rejected. And that takes a lot of energy and it's mm -hmm. very preoccupying. And it certainly kept me out of the kingdom of God and out of intimacy with Jesus. 
and out of being able to get in a position where I could really receive his love or even trust that I was beloved of him. And so as I became to get a vision for solitude as a spiritual discipline to be a place not of absence, not of abandonment, but a place of connecting with God's presence and a place of actually being able to bring my own needs to my heavenly father and a place where I actually could find courage from Jesus's love and presence to get emotionally honest about my needs and what I felt and to find words to express them in safe ways in prayer and in journaling. It was really healing for my soul and it was really helpful. And it actually even now has been a key discipline for me to also practice the discipline and solitude of watching and praying in advance of the temptation of pleasing people or in advance of the temptation of just living under that shroud of shame. Um, and it's in solitude that I can connect with God every day in the beginning of my day and reorient my identity as being the beloved disciple. Because in solitude, you get away from the people pleasing, which we call the, uh, the emotional alarm in our book for each of the nine types. We identify the emotional alarm, which is like, okay, listen for this wake up call that your type is sliding into unhealthy behavior, uh, a form of coping that's actually not going to bring out your, your healthiest, most loving personality. Mm -hmm. And so for you realizing that you're getting caught in people pleasing is like an indicator. Okay. I need to step back. And then a key way to step back from getting sucked into that is going into solitude and having some time alone where you're not looking at other people and what do they feel? What do they need? And trying to take care of them. And you're not like filling that alone time with intercessory prayer for other people. And that's of course a wonderful thing that we want to do is pray for other people. But the point of this solitude that you're talking about is that you need some time to be with Jesus and the Father, uh, the Spirit yourself, and feel your emotions, maybe, maybe journal, and trust the Lord to meet you there. Yes. That helps you discover yourself. That helps you mm-hmm. uh, know what you feel, what you need, who you are, not, not be lost, not be lost in orbiting around other people. It helps you to experience God's love for you, which supports that you're, you're esteemed, you're wanted, you're, you're valued. Yes. That's right. It helps me to be able to be more rooted in God and in his love instead of controlled by this inner pride of thinking that I, my, my messianic complex, that I have what you need, I know what you need, I've got to meet your need, and finding a sense of esteem in that instead finding my sense of, of well-being in Christ and in my identity in him. Because if you get your esteem out of helping other people and even uh, rescuing or saving other people, that's the Messiah complex, if, if you're going down that path, then the, the attention, the, the um, approval that you're getting, it's performance-based. Right, and it, it gets exhausting. And then also I train people to expect that of me. Mm-hmm. And then I get angry because as we write about in Healthy Feelings Fighting Faith, when our boundaries are crossed, we get angry. And I can not have any boundaries. And so that's the other thing that's good about solitude is it helps me to get in touch with where I need boundaries. And it helps me to get 
in touch with, well, how tired am I? And why am I that tired? And what, what have I been doing that God didn't ask me to do? And where, where is the Lord really asking me to mm-hmm. establish some healthy boundaries? So good. Well, before we pray for our listeners, tell us why is this book titled Healthy Feelings, Thriving Faith? How do the two go together? And why is that important for twos? Well, it goes together because if we aren't healthy in our emotions and we're repressing our feelings, it's going to get in the way of our relationship with Jesus, our intimacy with Jesus, and our faith is not going to thrive. And when we can get emotionally honest and be authentic with with ourselves, with God, with other safe people, then it opens up space for that deeper intimacy with Jesus. It's opening up our soul and giving God access to us. And it's through that experience of his love, his grace, his truth in our soul in, in the place where it's it, it's like our our emotions don't lie. It's kind of like they they're a health indicator, a gauge on the on the dashboard of our soul. And if we'll actually look at that as their information, their helpful information, and we use that, it actually we wake up to that, realize that this is key information for our faith and our emotions can either facilitate greater trust in Jesus and intimacy with Jesus, or they can block it and interrupt it. Yeah. And of course you're not saying that we would just like always uh, listen to and follow emotions as being the truth because sometimes we do believe lies and right. Those lies that we're believing, the the misunderstandings, misperceptions, inaccuracies, have emotional aspects as well as cognitive aspects to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what that's you're why we would that, say that the emotions make terrible masters, but they make good servants. Mm-hmm. They're information. They're they're not they're not like ultimate truth or or something like that. They're information, just like thoughts are information. But but they're both valuable. Yeah, they are a source of knowledge. And so it's been a wonderful thing, Christy, over the years to see your emotional intelligence uh, increasingly flourish and how helpful that is uh, for you in our family, our marriage, uh, in relationships, and leading soul shepherding. You have an incredible uh, EQ, emotional intelligence. And uh, that, that has come as you have become more self-aware of your emotions and your needs and learn to ask for and receive empathy that has helped you access more of that resident capacity that you have as a heart type. All the heart types have this potential for tremendous emotional intelligence, but they're broken in their self-awareness. They're broken in how they deal with feelings and relationships. And so that really stunts the, the potential emotional intelligence there, which is a big deal because that's more predictive of a thriving faith and loving relationships and success and work. Emotional intelligence is more predictive of those successes than intellectual IQ. So, so good. Thank you for sharing, Christy, and uh, love to have you pray for our listeners, especially the Enneagram Twos. Jesus, how grateful we are to you for your great love for us and your grace and your empathy for us and our emotions, that you you understand our feelings and that you don't judge us, but that you experience them with us and that you 
hold us, you hold our pain, you share in it, and you teach us through it, and you teach us your truth, and you guide us into greater intimacy with you. You are our source of love, of life, of truth. We thank you and we praise you that you are continuing to teach us. We're your students, we're your apprentices, and you're continuing to teach us and show us your glory and your purposes for us. And you are the one that is our shame taker. So continue to guide us each into more health and greater trust, deeper trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, if you haven't gotten a copy of Healthy Feelings, Thriving Faith yet, wherever books are sold, you can get a copy. We'd love for you to grow emotionally and spiritually through the Enneagram with us. If you'd like to have us speak in your church or your network, uh, we'd love to do that. Uh, If you want to come into our Soul Shepherding Institute retreat weeks, five days long, uh, we lead those uh, with our spiritual directors and be so helpful to you. One of those weeks, we really go deeper into the Enneagram. So connect with us at soulshepherding.org slash Enneagram and learn more. Thank you for joining us on the Soul Talks podcast. To find out more about growing in your life and leadership, subscribe to the podcast and visit us at soulshepherding.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram 